You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Jeremy McCauley titled, How to Integrate God's Word into My Life, from the series 40 Days in the Word. For more info, please visit creekside.org. All right, so those of you who didn't notice last week, I was sick, and I've been sick all week, which is no, no fun whatsoever, right? Anybody ever been sick before? I don't know about you, but I don't get sick very often. It, it's maybe something I pride myself in. I, I don't want to go quite that far because that makes it sound like I'm in trouble. And, um, but it is something that I, I noticed, especially when I'm sick, I really hate being sick. And so I was sick. I was out of work Monday. On Tuesday, I'm like, oh, I got this really important thing I got to do. So I really pushed hard to go do it and then was just crashed out for the rest of the week. Gives me this nice deep voice. Helps me to cough every once in a while. Those of you who um, like to pray for your pastor while he's up here, that's what you can pray for. Um, <coughs> hopefully not too many of those will come. As I go through this week, I was really struggling because I think what, what I do is, and I don't know if this is a man thing or if it's everybody's thing, but I, I like struggle over believing that I'm actually sick. My basic thought is I'm, I'm sitting at home faking it. So on Friday, Thursday, I said, okay, I'm going to get back into emails, and I started doing emails. And on Friday, I said, okay, guys, I'm going I'm to actually work from home, but I'm not coming in. So my coworkers are like, oh, he's fine. Let's get him on a telecon. <clears throat> so Friday afternoon, they get me on the telephone, and I'm like, quiet. And they're like, well, Jeremy, what do you think about that? And so I explain a few things, and then I'll be quiet again. And they're like, well you know, Jeremy, how are you doing? I'm like, guys, I got to go get some water. And I disappear, and then I come back, and I'm just coughing and hacking for the rest of the time. Probably 30 out of, 30 out of the 45 minutes that we were on the phone, I'm just coughing. By the end of that telephone call, I start getting the emails that say, thanks for talking to us. It was really nice of you to work with us while you're sick. We really are glad that you're home. <laughs> <coughs> I have a coworker who will flat out come out and tell me, hey, if you even think you're sick, don't come see me. Because I don't want it. And, and I totally appreciate his, his view on that. But the fun part about going through that telecon is what it allows me to feel like is like I'm not faking it. Like being at work really isn't a good idea. I really don't want to give all my coworkers this. Now, don't worry, I feel well enough to be here. It's not like I'm like nursing myself along just to barely make it. I am taking my hauls and things like that and my warm drinks just in case, mainly because I don't want to cough. The cough is lingering. The rest of me seems to be reasonably well. But it allows me to kind of bring my brain back to feeling like I'm a whole person. Even though I'm a whole person who's dealing with being sick, I feel like I'm, I'm like real again. And I'm not just faking my life. We're going to talk today about integrating and and really taking everything that we've been learning in the last six weeks of of, um, 40 Days in the Word and and saying, okay, how do I pull all this together? And that's what I feel like I did through that time is, is really it allowed me to pull myself back into one person. Like, I'm not just faking it. I'm not being there. I'm not on emails making it sound like I'm well, but, but hiding over here. And as I started thinking through the idea of integrating, I started questioning and going, okay, what, you know, what kind of examples do I have that I really like? 
and I landed on one of my favorite movies. Now, I do want to lay down, I'm not going to say this is a good movie. I have a proper definition of what good is. But it's a movie that I enjoy. It's a movie I like a lot. It's a movie that I've learned a lot from. And, and for those of you who haven't guessed it yet, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. Yay! Right? Everybody's, ugh. Half of you are going, oh, please. It's okay, I'm not going to, Star Trek's not the movie. Um, but along with being a really big fan of something, you should be able to appreciate a really good spoof of something. And so the movie that came to mind was Galaxy Quest. And I don't know how many of you have seen it, but it is arguably the best spoof done on the Star Trek galaxy. And, yeah, see, some of you have seen it, one or two. And <coughs> what I love about Galaxy Quest is there's actually a story that's going on, and it's a story that's worth paying attention to and worth listening to. Those of you who love Spaceballs, yeah, I've seen that too. Spaceballs is a spoof, but the story is kind of a spoofy story, right? It's kind of goofy, and you're like, these guys are a little bit weird. And, but Galaxy Quest is about a, uh, basically Star Trek. People who played on Star Trek, so you can think Leonard Nimoy and, and William Shatner, and, and they're, they've gone through their years of playing, and then the show ended, and it shows them in real life, and they hate each other. And they can't stand, especially the captain. And they don't like having to deal with each other, but because they've really been put into these roles that they were on television, they have no choice but to keep going to conventions together and live out this, this unending series of appearances pretending to be these characters that they've come to despise. Now, what's fascinating about it is through the movie, and there's, you know, there's, here's the whole long story, but, but, uh, which I won't try and bring in all today, but there's an alien race who's seen the TV show, they think it's real, and so they make their entire society around that, around the TV show. They are literally living Star Trek. And they've developed all the technology and all the things that work because of watching these characters. And through a series of events, they pull these real-life people into the situations and into a life where they are surrounded with people who live like it's Star Trek. What's fun and educational and what I learned from the movie and what I love about it is watching them take the real people that they are and the characters they're supposed to play and integrate the two together. And what you see is all the strengths of the real person are what comes out in the character that they always played. And who they are is far more noble as the character as they live out who that was. You see, as we wrap up the 40 days in the Word, the question we have is how do we integrate this incredible gift God has given us? How do we wrap up everything that God has in here and bring it into us to be who he has? We're going to try and follow what John 8.31 says, and I use the message version just because I love the way um, Eugene Peterson writes it. He says, if you stick with this, he's quoting Jesus, Jesus' words, Jesus saying, if you stick with this, living out what I tell you, 
They're my disciples for sure. And I think, wow, that's the kind of place I want to be. I want to make sure that I go the distance, that I do what it takes to stick with this, to integrate my life. Now, to give you an idea, the reason why I use the word integrate, so often in life, we try and separate out our lives. And we want, we want the, you know, the church life. Oh, we look perfect on Sunday, and we dress nice, and we might wear a tie, but probably not at Creekside. And, and um, got the nice boots, right? Okay, so there's these little piles that we have. Then there's what I do with my friends, and when we go drinking, and if we play airsoft, and, and video games, and movies, and just our life, we like to separate out into little piles. And the question is, how do we bring those all together? What do we do to make it so that we're living a whole and single and complete life? You see, it's the goal that I have for myself, and it's the goal that I have for all of you. It gets confusing trying to separate the piles. It's a lot better to just be us. So today we're going to talk about living an integrated life. We're going to take it out of Psalm 119.20, which in the contemporary English version says, what I want most of all and at all times is to honor your life, is to honor your law. Don't mess up God's word on stage, that's a problem. What I want most of all and at all times is to honor your laws. What the psalmist is saying is an integrated life, straightforward and simple. What I want most of all, always, at all times, is to honor God's law. If I can get myself to that place, I can see that I have a life with one single point and purpose. One single place that brings me back. One ruling authority that makes it make sense. One way to live that doesn't change and doesn't become different. Doesn't bring me to shame. The way we're going to talk about living an integrated life is we're going to look at six steps. And for those of you who have been doing the book study, who have been going to your small groups and been studying through, this will be so easy for you. Because the six steps are the six memory verses that you've been memorizing over the last 40 days. Can anybody stand up and quote all six of them for us right now? Drat! It's okay, I, I wrote them down too. We're going to go through the six memory verses that we had, and we're going to take those and we're going to say, okay, God, how do we live an integrated life? And the cool part is they've actually brought together a set of verses that allow us to do that that allow us to see the different ways that God wants and wants us to live. Let's start by praying. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you want us to live a life that is whole and complete. You give us instructions, you give us life, you show us what, how it's all supposed to be. We pray that you help us to drink in what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so living an integrated life with six steps. Don't worry, six steps, I can make it. You can make it too. Six steps is a long outline. <coughs> the first one comes from Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. 
And the, ver- the verse says it this way. It's actually Jesus speaking, and he says, he's telling a parable. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now, we may not all be construction workers in here, but most of us probably know that foundations are kind of important for our houses. And Jesus goes through and he tells a story about two men, one who builds his house on a rock or a solid foundation, and the other one who built his house on sand or a shifting foundation. And what's kind of fun about it is we just bought a new house, and and in December we got to move into our new house. But one of the fun things of going through it, when my wife and I do a house walkthrough, we're not there for 15 minutes looking at how pretty the paint colors are. We crawl underneath the house. We go up and go through the attic. We look inside the walls anywhere that we can and try and figure out what's actually underneath. What are we really going to have to deal with? One of the few things I remember about going through with an inspector is he went through and and we climbed underneath the house and we were shimmying around underneath there. And it's not that hard. It's pretty tall at one side. And (coughs) we didn't climb up to the part where he had to lay down. And he said, well, I do want to tell you one thing your house definitely has a good foundation. He goes, in fact, it's probably one of the best foundations you could possibly have. If this house falls down the hill, and yeah, we have a house up on the hill over Alhambra Stadium, he goes, if this house falls down the hill, most likely the foundation will still be attached. (laughs) That's the kind of thing you look for from an inspector, right? Boy, I felt better already. Foundations all depend on depth and strength, and they allow us to build what we're building on top of them. Jesus comes to us and he lays out a story where he makes sure we understand that building what we build our lives on is just as important. One of the hardest things that we have is when we become a Christian, we've all built our lives based on something. And most of the struggle after we become a Christian is that we literally have to pick up our lives, our thought processes, the way that we've built reality, and tear out the foundation and rebuild a new one. A lot of times the foundations that we have are what the Bible refers to as sand. They're a little bit shifty. They don't stay where we want them to. I wanted to talk about a few of the foundations that we often will pick, some of the things that come up and and kind of compete against what the Bible has, or at least they're what we started with before. The first one is popular culture. Standard statement of everyone else is doing it. The problem is that styles change. What's currently sick or cool or groovy probably won't be in 10 years if it even lasts through this year. Popular culture is an amazing thing because we see it all over, and yet it's not solid. A lot of people are following it. Unfortunately, numbers doesn't change. The fact that it's not right or is right, that's what we have to evaluate. Exodus 23.2 says it this way. God actually had to write this for us. Don't follow the crowd in doing wrong. Yeah, he had to write that down because we actually wouldn't figure it out ourselves. It's a crazy thing, isn't it? What's right and wrong doesn't matter what everybody thinks or says. That's not going to change it. It's not going to make it better. 
Pop culture, the other one is tra- or another one is tradition. We've always done it that way. Maybe you've heard that in church meetings. We have a movie that calls that the seven deadly words of churches. We've always done it that way. See, traditions are the repetition of something good. And I don't want you to miss that fact. There's a lot of things we do because we have done it that way before. And we remember what it was for and why we do it, and it's worth repeating. But at some point, traditions often become empty. We keep doing the action without remembering the why. And at that point, those traditions need to go. Jesus actually had to look at the religious leaders of his day and say in Mark 7, 8, you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And yeah, it's a warning to me to make sure that I teach you out of his word, not out of what I think is fun each year to do. Making sure traditions mean something matters. Just because we've always done it this way isn't the right reason. Another shifting foundation that we often use is reason. The one that says, it looked okay to me. I thought it sounded great. Science as we currently adhere to, it's an easy one. Obviously, I like to trust in reason. I like things to make sense. And probably one of the hardest things about my life has been spending the time to rethink things that made so much sense before I was a Christian. Things that fit together. Answers that were perfectly sensible on a different set of assumptions. But that once I became a Christian and changed those assumptions, I had to rethink. It didn't fit anymore. It didn't work. Even though it looked okay to me then, it wasn't anymore. Proverbs 16.25 puts it this way. It says, there's a way that seems right to a man but in the end leads to destruction. It's a dead-end road. What sounds good to you isn't the way God's going to evaluate it. The fourth and last one I'm going to talk about today is emotion. It feels right. Boy, it sure felt good to do that. We see these all the time. Boy, it sure felt good to hit him in the face. Right? The problem is, and I don't want you to miss this, your emotions are a good thing. That's important to remember. Your emotions are what you were created to have. They are powerful tools. They let you know exactly what you believe. Do you see the difference? They don't let you know what's true. They let you know what you believe. I get passionate about things that I believe are wrong. There's a lot of times I have to go back to God's word and go, ooh, do I just believe it? Or is it something God actually believes? They're great as gauges and warning lights. A much better use of your emotions than controlling your life is allowing them to be indicators. To go, wow, I really care about that. Is that what I want to care about? Is that where I want to put my time? I think about it in terms of of relationships. They're they're great for conviction and evaluating truth, but (coughs) I'm for not, 
for conviction, but not for evaluating truth. And I think of it in terms of relationships. My wife and I have done our, our share of marital counseling. We have a good time. We sit down. And every once in a while, I'll pass um, a book called The Love Dare to somebody. Usually, we're talking to a couple. I can tell which one probably would be more effective to go through it. It's, it's a book that's based on the movie Fireproof. I don't know if you've seen it, but it goes through different things that God recommends for us about how to fall in love with our spouse. It's things for us to do. Study your spouse. Pay attention to her. Notice what's going on. Respect the work that he does. It's all of these things from both sides. It works on me about how I look at my spouse. More times than not, the person I give it to will come back after a week or two and go, but they don't do this. She doesn't listen to me the way it's telling me to listen to her. And I smile, I say, um, okay, so you're what, 14 days in, right? Okay, so here's the first 14 pages of the book. All you have to do is point to me anywhere in here that it talks about what she's doing, what he's doing, instead of what you're doing. I said, but, but I'm not going to do it if they don't. They're not doing it. I smile. I say, I don't care what they're doing. I care what you're doing. God's the same way. He says, hey, those emotions are great. Turn them into passion for loving people. Turn them in and focus them in the ways that I want you to. They don't tell you what's true, but they sure tell you what you believe. Jesus' point of building on a rock is telling us to choose God's foundation, what's true and what's real, instead of the shifting sands that come around us. Culture and tradition, they're things that we need to evaluate. See if they're good or not before we pour ourselves into them. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm saying we need to make sure they don't control us, and that we evaluate them fully. Reason and emotion are valuable tools you were created to have. <coughs> Excuse me. They are not meant to run your decisions, or your love life. They're meant for you to use. The only rock we have is the solid truth of God's word to build on. And that's why he tells us to build on it. Build here. Build our foundation solid. And that leads us to the second one. The second one, after we build on it, we need to feed on it. Colossians 3.16 was our memory verse, and it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And for those of you who watched the video, you're all going, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. <laughs> let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, right? Every time since I have written this down, every time I read it, my brain does that entire process because that's the pronounce it method, right? Valuable tool. But the point is, we need to take in God's word and let it become a part of who we are. The Bible describes itself, it says that it is the water, the milk, the bread, and the meat of your spiritual life. Not of your real life. Don't go home, grind this up, and fry it over a pan or something and try and eat it. That's not the point. 
You won't learn any more about the Bible, except that it probably doesn't taste very good, by trying to chew on it. But you will learn a lot by taking it in and allowing it to feed your soul. What's interesting is coming off the previous one, thinking about the foundation. You see, the Bible repeatedly talks about you and I as though we are builders and soldiers. How many of you want a contractor working on your house who hasn't eaten in two weeks? Who wants to be protected by a soldier who's starving? Doesn't provide the right motivation. As we feed on it, it makes a difference. The coolest part about this is we can eat all we want. We're not going to get fat. We're not going to run out. The Bible's not going to fade into less and less each time we read it. <coughs> you can still want more, and it's not a problem at all. God says feed on it. Take it in. How do we feed on it? We receive it with our ears. And yeah, obviously, step number one, you show up at church. You listen. You hear what's actually coming across. You commit to coming to church because it actually matters. You listen to the podcast. Anytime you're gone, you make sure you catch it. You might listen to other people's podcasts and balance it off. You listen to energizing, energizing Christian music because what's going into you constantly is filling your soul and energizing you. Don't let it get lost. Not only do you receive it with your ears, but you read it with your eyes. The Bible does no good to either of us unless we read it. It matters that we bring it in. It's not just good to look at. It's not just for weight training. I know mine's little. It's not like I'm going to have any weight training off of this little thing, right? Some of you have the big ones that you're going, hey, I'm going to be like Kyle Giffen if I just keep this up. <coughs> it's not meant to sit on the shelf. Boy, they, my, like the prettiest book on my shelf or on the coffee table. It's meant to be taken in. Use it. Read it. Don't get distracted. Allow it to become a part of you and who you are. Don't forget to research it with your hands and mouth. One of the fun things Rick Warren keeps telling us over and over again is you can read it, but until you pick up a piece of paper and a pencil and you start writing it out and bringing it together, you're not researching. You're not bringing the information in and making sure that it goes further. This is why we have small groups. Many of you are currently involved. It's something that I highly encourage you to keep involved in as we go through the different rounds. Be a part of a small group. Then we reflect on it with our mind. In other words, think about what you listen to. One of the things that we do in our, our car on the way home is I ask everybody in the car, what did you learn today? It's not because I'm trying to look like a super spiritual dad. It's because I want what they learn to make it more than 30 seconds into the car. <clears throat> By the time we launch into conversations about all the people and everything that we got to hanging out with our friends and, and the goofy things that somebody did today, it's going to be gone. So we slow down to think about it. We reflect on it with our mind. And finally, we remember it with our heart. We memorize it. That's what these memory verses are for, so we can take it with us anywhere we go, just in case your Bible isn't carried with you. In case you drop your cell phone. 
I like to think of it in terms of cold brew coffee. <coughs> I know you guys are thinking, for a guy who doesn't drink coffee, he's got a lot of coffee ideas. My wife brews cold brew coffee, and her friend got her this really cool glass thing, and you fill the top with, with grounds, and you pour water through the grounds, and it slowly drips through, and, and you make coffee cold. And evidently, it tastes different. That's what she tells me. It still tastes like coffee. So she likes to make it this way. But the funny thing is, is you know, as, as it drips through, it makes a nice, well-brewed thing of coffee. Sometimes my wife doesn't have the kind of patience it takes to actually sit there and dribble the water in through the top. And she's figured out that she can fill the top with grounds, fill the bottom with water, and just drop the top in, put the cap on, and leave. And it will eventually brew itself. Now, the first time you see just a little wisp of coffee go off, and I have to go, is that coffee already? It'd be enough for me. Is that coffee? No, it's not done yet. You want to wait for your coffee to go through the entire jar. You want it to be a nice, deep, dark brown color. You want your coffee to actually be all done. It's the same thing God has for us as he tells us that we're supposed to feed on his word. He doesn't want you just to take in a tiny bit and say, well, my left, my left pinky finger's okay. Let it go through all of you. Become a part of who you are. So as we build on it, as we feed on it, the next thing we come to is living by it. And this comes out of Psalm 1, 1 through 3, <coughs> or 1 and 2. And this is what it says. It says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates both day and night. I love this verse. Because it's such a description of how our lives often... We walk with somebody who's giving us poor counsel, and then we slow down enough to stand next to them and listen more, and finally, we find ourselves sitting in their group. God says the counsel of the world isn't the one we want to walk with. We all know what the counsel of the world says. It says, ah, it doesn't matter what you listen to or what you watch, just hang out with us. That's what's important. We're involving we're all getting better and better, so drink up. Your kids need you to just be their friends, not their parents. Discipline is way too old for you. Working more makes you more valuable. Just do more. Your sexuality is what's important, so show it off. He who dies with the most toys wins. So buy more. And this is as good as it gets. So take as much as you want. There are common things we hear every day. People who want to influence us. They want to bring us in and they want us to come and sit and spend time taking in more and more. To validate what they are and who they are based on what it does, on what they do. What's fascinating is God's word tells us, blessed is the man who doesn't do this. You see, God gives a, a contrast. He gives his own counsel. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. God says, take the time. 
Live by it. Do something different. It's definitely noteworthy that Matthew 4, when Jesus is being tempted by Satan, every single temptation Satan brings against him, Jesus answers the same way. He says, it is written. Not, well, that sounds good to me. Not, oh, yeah, I just, I, it'll be fun. But, you know, God's word is pretty clear. I'm just going to stick with it. By that, we're allowed to live and, and be a part of who he is as we feed on it, as we build on it, as we feed on it, and as we live by it. Think of the cold brewed coffee. We put water in, right? But now the water has a whole new identity. No one, no one could convince me to drink the water that's now in there. No one. It's now coffee. This, by the way, hot apple cider. Thank God Starbucks makes things other than coffee. We need to allow God's word to come into us so much that it changes who we are. That we don't live anymore as the old, but we make choices to live the new way. Do you allow the word of God to change your character and your identity so much that you're different? We build on it, we feed on it, we live by it, and we grow through it. Psalm 119.18 says it this way. It says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. God uses the example over and over of a seed that he plants. He plants it in good soil. I don't know about you, <coughs> I always remember the science fair projects, and part of it's that I've gotten to judge a few, and part of it's that I used to have to go to them, and those things, you know, your parents make you do these fun things, fun things, that were really good for me, but at the time I really didn't like so much. Um, <coughs> do you remember watching the seeds that they had planted in cotton balls? Anybody ever do that? At, I mean, like, I remember seeing this. Oh, we're going to plant a seed in good soil and then cotton balls, and, and then we'll plant it in something else, and they all had the different soils. Planting a seed in a good soil, we know exactly what's going to happen, right? But we need two things for that to happen. One is we need the seed to be planted, and two is the soil needs to be there for it to grow in. In Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 15, Jesus tells another parable. It's a parable about this amazing farmer who goes out to sow his seed, and he literally casts it everywhere. <coughs> it's a parable of soils. A lot of times we look at it as people, but much more people's hearts and their attitudes is what's being shown here. The different way people react I'm going to let you read the whole thing on your own. I highly recommend that you take a chance this week to read Luke 8, verses 4 through 15. It's just not going to, well, it might fit today. i got lots of good time. But um, we're just going to go through the different things. And Jesus contrasts this farmer who's out there, and he's scattering seed, and he lets it fall on four different kinds of soil. And the problem, or the thing that I had to remember and realize through this is, we like to think of it that it's just the way certain people's hearts react, but the more that you look at it, the more you realize 
I can have these attitudes anytime. Hopefully, I don't have them all the time. But God's saying, hey, what's your attitude today? When you come to my word and you deal with things, what's the soil of your heart like? The first one he talks about is hardened soil. It's soil along the path that's been packed down, it's been beat by the sun. It's really talking about people with a closed mind, people who don't even give God a chance. Oh, one of the fun things, by the way, about this parable, one of the things that makes it even easier to send at home so you can read it at home, is Jesus not only tells the parable, but three verses later, he comes back and explains it. So it's not like I have to make this stuff up and go, boy, I totally understand metaphors, which, by the way, I completely failed at in English class. It's that Jesus actually told me what the metaphor means, so it makes it much easier. (coughs) The hardened soil or the closed mind is the person who says, I don't want to hear what God has to say about my life. My non-Christian girlfriend, I I just don't want to hear about it. Well, he has an opinion on my sex life, my business, my music, my movies, what I look at. Nah, I don't want to hear it. The challenge for a person who is that way, maybe it's you, some days it's me, the challenge is to say, how do I cultivate an open mind? How do I listen to what God says? The second soil is shallow shallow soil. It's got rocks in it, can't get a good root. It's the soil soil of a superficial mind. It's it's those of us who go to church on Sunday, and I have to say us because some days I have this happen as well. I say, wow. That was so good. It's sure nice to go to church. By the time you get to the parking lot, you've completely forgotten what was happening, what happened, where you were talking about. It's the person who needs to make time for God's word. Remember that it's important. Just taking it in through the top layer of your skin isn't going to get anything in. We need it to grow all the way through us. The soil with weeds... The preoccupied life, the life that springs up and chokes us out because we have so much going on. And and (coughs) this one's easy. Those of you who are writing your to-do list for the rest of the afternoon, this is you. I can say that because I've done it before. And there are times where I sit there and go, God, I'm writing this down as fast as I can so that I can pay attention. But there's other times where I know I'm not here. I'm checked out. I'm choked up over the number of things that I have going on. I have no chance of hearing God's word on a Sunday morning. The challenge is to eliminate those distractions. To get to the point where we actually take time to listen, to hear what it says and say, I wonder if that affects my life. Is that me? And then to do something about it. Some of us, it means not working for at least an hour on church, maybe a whole day. (gasps) The distractions too often come in and choke us out and keep us from moving forward. The final type of soil that he gives is the good soil, a willing and open mind. I'd love to say I always had that. I try to. Work pretty hard at it. This is the person who's here and open and interested, attentive, thoughtful. 
As God scatters his word in, it roots down deep and it grows. It produces in their life. Now, just in case you think that person's got it easy, Jesus uses a fascinating word to talk about them growing. He says that they persevere. Even the good soil is going to have hard times. It's not easy to stay that way. And think about it. It takes a ton of work to cultivate soil. I don't want to go rototill my backyard, but if I want things to grow in it, I probably have to. Thank God we at least have rototillers, right? Now, what's fascinating about this is because of the way Jesus tells this story, you can't just say, well, it's okay, I showed up. I heard God's word today. Obviously, that was what, I must be in the right place. I must be group four because I heard God's word. You see, Jesus tells the story of this extremely inefficient farmer. A farmer who is crazy enough to scatter seed on the road and think, I hope this works. You see, the farmer is God, and he's sowing into everybody's heart. Whether they will listen or not, he tries. He's constantly knocking. God is willing. He gives everyone a chance. The question for us is, is our heart open and available? That brings us through to the last two. The last two, I think, are probably the easier of the, the group. In James 1.22, it says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Act on it. You got to do something. Rick Warren says it simply. He says, <coughs> you only believe the part of the Bible you actually do. It's kind of a funny way to think about it, but it sure works. My wife and I have been reading uh, the book of James over the last week. We, we just finished, and it's kind of funny because James is actually really easy to understand. I'm used to reading Paul. And Paul, he, he doesn't write with periods. He writes with commas. He's like a never-ending train of thought. He says, oh, let's be filled with the Holy Spirit. And while you're doing that, let's talk about wives and their husbands and their kids and their parenting and their slaves and masters. And oh, what, what, oh, oh, wait, sorry. Hey, let's talk about armor, and then we're going to talk about spiritual warfare, and then we're going to talk about this. And Paul just keeps going and going. We're like, Paul, take a breath. James is the other way around. James says, do what it says, period. Everything he has is so straightforward and so easy. You just sit there and go, am I reading the same Bible? Oh, yeah, a different person, personality is here. He wrote differently than Paul did. Same message, but boy, is it easy to sit and go, yeah, I just can't keep faking myself out and believing that I can show up at church and fake it when I see my nice friends, but go and do whatever else I want the rest of the week. It doesn't work. You got to do what it says. So we act on it, and then finally we trust in it. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. <coughs> the last of the memory verses. It brings us to the question of, are you ever lost? 
Do you ever not know what to do? Where to go next? I remember years and years ago, I was probably 16 or 17, and some friends of mine had gone up. We lived in Clovis, and you could get like seven miles out of town, and you hit the four lane, and you were up 3,000 feet above the valley in no time. It took less than an hour. We were up in the mountains. It was great. So much fun. We decided we were going to go four-wheeling, and uh, we, we disappeared up, spent the whole day four-wheeling, um, went with a new guy. I was riding with him and another guy who'd been out there before, and so we had a lot of fun going around. We were on our way home. And it's getting dark. It's pretty late. We stayed as long as we possibly could. Yeah, you know, that's what you do. And we're driving home. We're tired. We're worn out. Four-wheeling sounds easy, right? All you do is sit in the car. And, but you actually get worn out. It's not that simple. You actually have to get out of the car every once in a while. <coughs> we're driving home, and all of a sudden, the lights go out in the car. And I remember it. I remember all of a sudden, the road's pitch black. And then the lights came back on. We're like, oh, phew. And then it goes right back out again. About 30 seconds later, the entire electrical system of the car shuts down. Now, when you're driving in 1962, Land, Land Cruiser, you know, there's not a lot of electronics. There's probably five wires in the whole car. But when those five wires go out, you're done. And we're sitting there, we pulled to the side of the road, and I remember thinking, boy, it'd sure be nice if we could see. I wish somebody could turn on the lights. Meanwhile, we're watching the taillights of the friends that we had gone with. They, of course, were the lead cart disappear off in the distance. Thankfully, they noticed that we disappeared, and they did come back, and the first thing they do is they pull up behind us is they get out and they start grabbing something off the ground. And all the way trailed behind us was the entire winch cable. We had blown the power takeoff on the winch and unreeled the entire cord onto the road behind us. In doing so, we had taken out the electrical switching system and the, the generation system in the car. There was no chance we were going anywhere. There was nothing we were going to do. And I just wished we could at least turn the lights on to tell what was going on. The same thing is true as we go through our lives. We get stuck. We have problems come along. Some of them are our own cause. So? Some of them are caused by other people. God says, it's okay. I have the flashlight right here. I have a light. All you have to do is turn it on. Now, some of us might not like the time that it takes. We have to actually read and trust that God's going to give us an answer. That takes, takes time. We have to wait and search. We have to trust and listen. And in the end, we have to move in the direction he gives us. The challenge of all this today as we try to integrate our lives is to make sure we keep going, that we don't stop, that we don't give up, that we carry on and keep on going on, keep on keeping on. The simple one is continuing your small groups. Next Wednesday, we're going to have a celebration, April 5th, for the small groups that you've been going through. I encourage anybody who's been in a small group or who's been doing the 40 Days in the Word with us, 
Come and celebrate with us. There will be food. There will be fun. It's the best way to end a, a Bible study. God loves a good party for a good reason. So go ahead and come. Come and enjoy. And then in April, at the end of April, we're going to start new small groups over again. You don't even have to stay with the people you're tired of seeing this week. You can go to a new one. Sign up. Maybe you do want to stay with the same group. Sign up. Allow it to be something that becomes a big part of who you are. We hold the basic instructions with us every day. The simple cure to the problem that everyone we run into has. And so often we leave it closed up and we don't do anything with it. As I went through and I studied Galaxy Quest, unfortunately I don't have the movie anymore so I didn't get to watch it this week. One of the things that, that was funny to me about it is in two, only two hours they show you a show that has a plan and a purpose that comes up over and over again and it's all brought together in one slogan of the guy who's leading, the captain. Whenever they're in trouble, he goes, never give up, never surrender. And they make a joke out of it the whole movie. We may have to surrender. Surrender may be our only option. And it always comes back to the same statement. Never give up. Never surrender. When God brings us into how to live an integrated life, that is the final answer that we come to. Keep going. Never stop. Never give up. And never surrender. <laughs>